Is it true that men are visual in a way women will never understand? Or that boys can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's inciting it? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And in today's podcast, I continue my two-part discussion with Sheila Ray Gregoire on toxic teachings on sex and womanhood within the evangelical church. And you just heard two doozies, but there are more, like a girl has a responsibility not to be a stumbling block to the boys around her by what she wears, or girls who dress immodestly are worse than girls who dress modestly. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard these teachings, but are they true? And what kind of outcomes do these teachings produce? Sheila will answer those questions, drawing from a survey her team conducted involving 7,000 women. She'll also share what one thing our daughters most need to hear if they're going to grow up healthy in the church. We'll get to our conversation in just a minute, but first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Mark Orta Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marcord of Barrington. Marcord is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marcord, are men of integrity. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, we now return to part two of my conversation with popular marriage blogger Sheila Ray Gregoire about her book, She Deserves Better. We pick up our conversation with talk about the purity culture and modesty. Obviously, there's been a lot of pushback on purity culture. In fact, you mentioned in your book about Matthew West when he had that song come out about modest is hottest. And I know he said it was satire and maybe it was kind of tongue in cheek, but at the same time, it's sort of doubled down on some of these purity messages that are so, so damaging. I mentioned that I read this book, at least portions of it with my daughter, who's 21. She really resonated, especially with the discussion on modesty. I think because there's just been so much trauma that she's experienced that I think a lot of girls experience. And yet I think, you know, as parents, we're like, oh, geez, what do we, what do, we do with this? I mean, it is it is really, really difficult. But talk about some of these modesty messages, how they're communicated, and what is communicating to our daughters? How are they internalizing these things? So we wanted to really flesh this one out because we knew yeah. this was going to be a big one. So yep. we asked about four different iterations of the modesty message what the mm-hmm. girls had believed. So we, we didn't just say, did you think you had to be dressed modestly? We asked it in four different ways. Mm-hmm. So um, we asked girls if they believed boys are visual in a way the girls will never understand. Um, boys can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to incite it. Um, a girl has a responsibility not to be a stumbling block to the boys around her by what she wears. And girls who dress uh, immodestly are worse than girls who dress modestly. And we let people decide what worse meant. So that was up to the the survey taker. All of those messages are horrible. They all have terrible outcomes. But I'll tell you the two with Mm. the worst outcomes is the two about boys, about boys' natures. Mm. When when girls believe that uh, boys are visual in a way that girls will never understand and boys can't help but lust, when you take those 
girls and look at them long-term, they are 52% more likely to have a sexual pain disorder called vaginismus as an adult. And vaginismus is largely a condition of evangelicals. It's, um, it's when the muscles in the vaginal wall contract, uh, so that sex penetration becomes very painful, if not impossible. A lot of women can't insert tampons without pain. Um, it's really debilitating. And we found an incidence rate of around 23%, which is at least two to two and a half times the rate of the general population. If you talk to any pelvic floor physiotherapist, they will tell you most of my patients are evangelicals. And so there is something about our teaching that is actually hurting women's bodies. And in our first book, our first big book, The Great Sex Rescue, what we found is that obligation is really highly correlated with vaginismus. So when when you you mm. tell a woman you're obligated to give your husband sex if he wants it, her chance of experiencing sexual pain increases to almost the same statistical um, amount as if she had been abused. So mm. women's bodies interpret obligation as trauma. It is abuse. I yeah. mean, isn't it? It's essentially psychologically abusing them so that their condition to a certain behavior. I mean, it's it's really, really damaging. And yet, hearkening back to my Moody Radio days, since we're talking about this, I know on Moody Radio, when we would talk about this issue, so many people would call in and quote scripture about the woman needing to please the man. I mean, it's just, it was mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it really and, is. So, you know, so obligation is traumatic. But we also found that modesty is traumatic and especially now all of it is all of the modesty messages result in higher rates of sexual pain, but especially the ones about boys, mm. because what those messages tell you is that you can never be safe. You mm. live in a world where boys will always objectify you, where boys and men will only ever see you as sexual objects. All your dreams of intimacy, they're just pipe dreams and you're just never safe. Mm. And this is what we have told women and girls. So they're 52% more likely to have sexual pain. They're 68% more likely to marry an abuser. Mm. Interestingly, too, believing the modesty message means you're more likely as well to be assaulted as a teenager and more likely to be in churches where other people around you are assaulted. Because churches that teach the modesty message, guess what? Predators love those churches. Mm. Because those churches are telling your daughter, if he lusts after you, it is your fault, not his. And what does it do to the the boy to be continually told that you have a sex drive you can't control? Oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> this drives me nuts too, because for, for boys, like we've also conflated noticing with lusting, right? So if mm. a boy notices that a woman has a good figure, he thinks he's already lusted after her. And then we tell him that, you know, this is hopeless because you'll never get over it. Um, I mean, the Every Man's Battle series actually tells boys that we know the reason for sexual sin among men. You got there naturally simply by being male. And they say men just don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. Like, no, women do not have the Holy Spirit more than men do. That is so, so damaging. And I'm so glad that that you're calling this out. And And clearly, if this is the view that you have, I mean, it seems like, and when you're talking about the low self-esteems in in so many of these girls, like, they begin to internalize the message that they're an object, right? That they're nothing more than an object. And and you were even saying later down the line that it's not just in high school, Mm -hmm. but even as these women get older, tell me what your your survey found as far as their self-esteem and their ability to even view themselves rightly as they get older. Yeah. So um, if you believe those modesty messages as a teenager, you're 30% more likely to have low self-esteem, below average self-esteem as an adult. Like this affects you long term. Hmm. 
And it's interesting because whenever I talk about modesty on Facebook, people will always say, well, sure. I mean, girls aren't to blame if boys lust, but, and there's always a but, right? Mm -hmm. But girls need to understand how much, how boys are visual and how they can't help it. It's like, no, stop it. Like what our data shows is that you cannot say that. When you say girls need to just understand what boys experience, then you are saying it is okay to live in a world where girls are 68% more likely to marry an abuser, where girls are 52% more likely to have sexual pain. No, that is not okay. And we can expect boys and men to respect women. Can I tell you some of the worst examples of the modesty message? Yes, please. So this is from Dana Gresh's Secret Keeper Girl curriculum, which was quite popular in sort of those, the aughts and onwards. She wrote a lot for Brio magazine about modesty. She had Secret Keeper Girl conventions all across North America. She's now rebranded to True Girl and the curriculum has changed a bit, but it still focuses on modesty and not not encouraging men to complete the picture of your body. And it's it's addressed to eight to 12-year-old girls. So there was this one um, fashion test that girls were supposed to take. So you're supposed to raise your hands. It's called the raise and praise. Mm -hmm. And if your belly shows, that's bad because, and I quote, bellies are intoxicating. Mm -hmm. And then there's a conversation, a script that moms are invited to have with their daughters and where you explain what intoxicating means to your daughter, how intoxicating is like when he's drunk and he's gotten out of control. And God created men to be intoxicated by your body. And that's a beautiful thing. But God only wants one man to be intoxicated by you, and that's your future husband. And so mm. you need to cover up so that you don't inadvertently intoxicate other men. Let's break this down. She told girls as young as eight that the sight of their bellies would make adult men out of control and that God made it this way. That's not Christian. That's pedophilic. And how did nobody say anything? That's a good question. I mean, what explanation do you have for that? I think we are so enamored with the idea that men can't help it. So everything has to be on women and girls to control it. Hmm. that we just give into this. You know, we also looked at the adult women because most people who believe these modesty messages as teenagers do not believe them today. That's the good news. So most people who hmm. believed all this stuff in youth group have deconstructed mm -hmm. a lot of these beliefs. Mm -hmm. So, but when you look at the women who haven't, when you look at the women who still believe the modesty message, which would include women who are teaching it, because most, mm -hmm. most of this stuff is taught by women. When you ask girls who told you to dress modestly, overwhelmingly, they will say by other women. So it's largely women who are teaching this stuff. Well, the women who believe the modesty message as adults are far more likely to be in abusive marriages. They're more likely to be in marriages mm -hmm. where their husbands use porn. They're more likely to be in marriages where they are worried about how their husband looks at other women in public. Um, they're more likely to have lower self-esteem themselves. And so I wonder how much of it is is women, and this isn't all women, okay? This doesn't mean that if a woman believes a modesty message, she necessarily has a bad marriage. She's just more mm -hmm. likely to. Mm -hmm. But how much of this is women not wanting to believe there's something wrong with their husband? And so mm -hmm. they're just trying to control what their husband sees. Mm -hmm. Because that's something they feel they can control since they can't seem to make a difference with him. And I wonder how much of it, too, is devaluing yourself so that when you're dating and these red flags come up, it's kind of like, well, this is how I'm used to being treated, or this is all I deserve. 
Yeah. And actually, this is actually one of the big things we talk about is because if you tell girls, hey, boys can't help but lust after you. Mm-hmm. And hey, all boys are visual. All boys are going to check girls out. This is just what boys do. This is the male objectification of women and male sexuality are one and the same thing. If we tell that to girls and then they're dating someone who's constantly checking out other girls, who's constantly making comments about other women's bodies, are they going to realize that guy is a creep mm-hmm. or are they just going to think, I guess that guy is just a man? Well, exactly. You know, we've taught them, don't look at red flags. Red flags aren't even real because all guys are like this. You can't expect anything more. Let me just play devil's advocate because I know there's probably some people listening who are going to say, well, okay, those modesty messages, you're saying those, those were damaging. But at the same time, I'm super uncomfortable with what my daughter's wearing. Or when you go shopping with your daughter, it's tough even finding you know, I find it kind of tough to find decent clothes. As Christian parents, how do we talk about this with our daughters? And, you know, to the person who's saying, hey, listen, can we really go overboard with this? Because look at, you know, what the culture is doing. So speak to that person right now who's who's feeling that way. Yeah. So first of all, I do want to say that in She Deserves Better, we do have like a really good exercise to do with your daughter after the modesty chapter on how to talk Mm -hmm. about clothing that has nothing to do with not causing him to lust, but has to do with how do we be appropriate? How do we be kind? How do we not flaunt our wealth? Which is actually what the Bible is talking about when it talks about modesty. (laughs) Right. About braiding and gold and yeah. Yes. So, so we do, we do walk you through so that that can really help. But let me just say this. Um, When I was 18, 19, 20, mom jeans were really in style, right? So you had the narrow waist and then everything got really big. So nothing was nothing was tight around your butt and it was quite high-waisted. Mm-hmm. And this is just what I was used to. Mm-hmm. And so I would wear these for years. And then more of the form-fitting jeans came in and even the low-rise jeans. And I didn't wear them forever because I thought that is scandalous. Like that is oh, absolutely really? scandalous. Uh-huh. But then after a few years, I realized everybody is wearing these. And nobody seems to care anymore. And so I got some and I actually like them, you know. Now yeah. I'm kind of happy the waists have gone up back up a little bit because I was kind of tired of always having your butt crack showing. But, you know, like <laughs> things are things are better. But the yeah. point is, when something becomes common in the culture, it loses its effect. Okay? Mm-hmm. So let's take yoga pants. Gen Z, I'm sorry, I'm Canadian, so I always say Gen Z. But, okay, Gen Z guys... <laughs> Do not notice yoga pants on the whole, because everybody wears yoga pants. Hmm. And once everybody wears yoga pants, it's pretty much lost its power. Boomer men notice yoga yoga pants, because when boomer men were young, no one wore yoga pants. And so boomer Hmm. men and Gen X men are just going, oh my gosh, look at her in the yoga pants. Hmm. But to other 20-year-old guys, they don't see it. And we need to stop judging the younger generation by our standards, because Look at what the younger generation was. And if you have a daughter who is wearing exactly what every other 19-year-old or 18-year-old or 16-year-old or 15-year-old wears, she isn't being immodest, not for her culture. Because there are some cultures which consider shoulders super immodest, but cleavage is fine, right? There's cultures Mm. where um, you can basically go topless, but you could never wear pants. You have to be in a skirt. Like, things are different. It's all very cultural. And there isn't one particular body part that is always going to turn on men. It really is largely cultural. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I would just really encourage people to stop thinking about certain fashion trends as being terrible and start thinking instead about ideas of how do you dress so that you respect yourself, so that you show Mm -hmm. that you respect others, so that you're not off-putting. I mean, you know, like I think there's issues if you're wearing 
tons of piercings and tons of mean tattoos? Like that's a question too, because what, what are you saying to other people about whether or not you want to be friends with them or whether you're comfortable Mm -hmm. around them? Right. So there's lots of issues other than just showing skin. I think we can talk to our kids about consent. Like there are certain parts of my body that someone would need to consent in order to see. (laughs) Like you're not supposed to just go flashing your boobs in the grocery store in our culture. And so I don't ever want to show any parts of my body that somebody should legitimately have to consent to see because then I am violating their consent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, so you can have those kinds of conversations, but we just should not be pairing it with the idea that boys can't help but lust. So good. You talk about the one thing that parents should consider non-negotiable if they want to raise a healthy daughter. What is that one thing? Your daughter needs to be able to disagree with you. She needs to be able to use her voice. Mm. That's such an important thing. Because if your daughter can say, you know, mom, you know, dad, I think you're wrong. Then she's going to be able to say that in the future if she's married to a husband who isn't treating her well, she's going to be able to say that in a work situation and speak up for others. She's going to be able to say that in an unfair educational situation. But if she doesn't feel like she can ever disagree with with you, that her voice doesn't matter, she's not going to learn how to speak up. And mm-hmm. one of the most important things that your daughter needs to know is that her voice matters and her opinions matter. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with her, but Hmm. you can honor her and let her speak up without punishment. Hmm. And when we model that at home, then she's going to be able to do it in other places where it is ever so important. Because so often instead, we think that obedience to parents means that you have to go along and you have to agree. And Hmm. that is how churches end up becoming abusive. Let your daughter have a voice. That's interesting that you say that because that's the one thing I've talked about in in my home that I grew up in, where we would have just really spirited discussions about everything under the sun at the dinner table. And we're kind of weird because we never took it personally. It was like sport for us. Like we loved it. And, you know, every now and then it would kind of get you know, at a certain point, and my parents would kind of try to tone it down. And at that point, it was too out of control. <laughs> but, but it wasn't until I got older that I realized you offend people when you do that, because nobody got offended in my family, generally, like when we talk about ideas and different things. But I realized now, that was, in some ways, training me for a lot of what I do today. And and I know my daughter recently was at a job where she's She's in college, but she's, you know, having to work restaurant jobs. And she had one boss that was horribly abusive. And she got up and she walked out and reported him to her boss. And he was, he was moved to a different place. And I remember asking her, I'm like, if you hadn't reported that, would somebody have said something? And she's like, no, he just would have kept doing it. And he was, you know, sexually harassing people. He was screaming at them. I mean, all of this. And I was so proud of her for doing that. I mean, I, f- I felt so good about that, that, that she's learned that you matter, that you have worth, that nobody has a right. You know, I don't care whether it's a boss. I don't care whether it's an authority figure in the church. I don't care who. Nobody has a right to degrade you or to cross your boundaries or to treat you as less than human. Mm-hmm. That's not okay. And why hasn't the church been teaching that to girls? Patriarchy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think it. I guess it must be, but it's mm-hmm. like it doesn't come from Jesus. How can anybody claim they know Jesus? Hmm. 
and then try to control and try to blame girls hmm. for boy sins. Like, and it's not only in the in the sexual realm. There, um, Shanti Felden wrote uh, a book called "For Young Women Only." Um, Shanti Felden and Lisa Rice. Um, mm-hmm. And it was based on a survey that she did of boys, and it was directed at teenage girls, this book. She also wrote a lot for Brio magazine from Focus on the Family. And in it, she was talking about how boys have trouble often expressing their feelings. But what boys really, really need is unconditional respect. And she didn't just mean the boy you're dating, like all boys around Mm -hmm. you, they need unconditional respect. I don't have a problem with that if by respect you mean listening to the listening to them talk yeah. you know honoring their boundaries treating them like a like a person but then she says so boys have trouble expressing their their feelings and so if you so if you're trying to figure out if you've crossed the disrespect line watch for anger so their anger is your fault right so if he's angry at you you must have disrespected him now if you're a girl and you're in an abusive relationship what are you going to think Or maybe you're not in an abusive relationship, but you've just internalized this teaching and then you get married and you start thinking, if he treats me badly, it's because I've disrespected him because I haven't unconditionally respected him and given him complete deference. What an awful message. And and that is making women small. And I love your chapter on women deserve to be big. Right? I love that. And those messages, that those weren't just for girls. Those were for wives, too. I remember being in Bible studies and being told, if you know the right answer, don't say it in front of your husband, because he needs to do that. And you can't be too much. And it's like, I, I remember listening to this. And I'm just like, who are these like insecure men who can't even have their wives disagree with them or know more than them or whatever? I mean, it was just pathetic. Yeah, if you're driving in a car and he turns the wrong way, don't say anything because that wouldn't be, oh, it's just so bad. And I think we should be respectful of each other, you know. I mean, um, I don't like it if my my husband says something nasty when I'm driving, which he never does. He's just not like that. But, I mean, respect one another is is a good thing. But these messages that women have to be less so men can be more, it's just, it's really gross. Two groups of people I want you to just before we get off this podcast to speak to. And one is the mom right now who's feeling a little panicked because she's like, oh, my word, what messages have my has my daughter been getting in church? How can she know whether or not these harmful messages are being taught by her church? And then what can she do about it if she finds out that they are being taught? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, first, some good news that okay. I, I do want everyone to hear. Um religiosity, church attendance, believing in Jesus, these are all good, good things. So going to church, women who go to church as kids, they're going to have better marriages on the whole when they're an adult. They're going to have higher self-esteem. The church attendance, believing in Jesus, all good things. Mm -hmm. But, and here's the big but, once girls start to internalize some of these toxic messages, like about consent, how boys can't help mm. it, um, and so you need to stop the sexual progression, so uh, about modesty, about being small, about not talking so much, once they start to internalize those things, the benefits of church attendance disappear. Mm. And in some cases, it it would have actually been better not to have gone to church at all. Mm. So that's the sobering part. That doesn't mean every church is bad, though. So everyone... I want you to go back in time to your grade four math class and you're learning averages. 
Mm-hmm. And what you'll know is that the average means that you've, you've taken all of the data from all these different mm-hmm. things. And the average is less than the best, but m- better than the worst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if we know that the average of church attendance is good, but we also know that these toxic teachings are bad, there has to be something bringing up the average. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it means there are churches doing these things right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are youth groups. Maybe the church isn't that healthy, but the youth group's actually pretty good, you know, or whatever it might be. There might be some good youth leaders. And so it's really incumbent on us to take a look at what is being taught in youth group. And often youth group is so separated from the adult church that you don't always know what's going on. So I would just say volunteer. <laughs> You know, talk Mm. to your youth pastor. What are you teaching about modesty? What are you teaching about sex? See, your church, maybe your church doesn't talk about gender dynamics very much. Like it's a relatively healthy church. There's lots of women on the platform too. Um, The pastor doesn't say anything openly misogynistic. But what you need to understand is in youth group, all they talk about is relationships and dating. (laughs) So, So even if they don't say it in the main church, whatever they believe is going to be exponential in youth group. And so find out what is being taught in youth group. You know, if the youth leader is teaching something weird about modesty, give them a copy if she deserves better uh, and see what they think. Because a lot of times it's not that people deliberately want to spread toxic stuff and that they Mm -hmm. won't listen. They just honestly don't know what else to do. And this has been in the water. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard from so many women um, this week since the book released where they've gone to their youth pastor and the youth pastor has been excited about the the data and the graphs and Mm -hmm. the charts in the book. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay, this is a new way to talk about it. And that's great. Mm -hmm. But if they don't listen to you, then you need to take a good hard look. Because if your daughter, maybe you're a healthy family, you know, Mm. you don't teach this weird stuff. You actually communicate really well. But if your daughter is in a church that is teaching her not to use her voice, that she talks too much, that she's easily deceived, um, that boys should be deferred to, even if these things aren't taught explicitly, but if that is the message that is being given, she's more likely to go to church camps with people who believe even more conservative things, to go to Christian colleges where they might believe even more conservative things, to marry someone who is way more on Mm. that spectrum. And so we need to think, okay, is this the social group that I want for my daughter? And that's a hard conversation to have. But you just got to be involved. You got to meet your kids' friends, meet your kids' youth leaders, because our girls deserve our attention and our girls deserve us to put in the work Mm -hmm. to figure this out. And can I say they also deserve youth groups where they're not just talking about relationships? Like, yeah, I thought it was so good in your early chapter where you talk about how when you were in church and you were in youth group, I mean, you were talking about your relationship with Jesus. I mean, I remember when I was in youth group was some of the most profound, spiritually formative things happened to me. I mean, we were talking about Jesus. We were talking about the Holy Spirit. We were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, missions. We were talking about you know, reaching our friends for Christ. That's what we were talking about. We, we really weren't talking about relationships that much. I mean, of course, we were with our peers all the time, you know, but yeah, but yeah I mean, we were talking about what is the most important thing is to love God, right? And then love others. You know, I mean, we were talking about the mission of the gospel. And I think it's sad and pathetic that, that our youth groups have degenerated into all we talk about is relationships and dating. I mean, I remember we focused on Bible study and worship. And we're like, if you want to go to the youth group that entertains you, 
the world entertains better than the church anyway. So go there. But we're going to be about Jesus. We're going to be about worship. We're going to be about the word. And and people came. You know, that's a thing. I think there's a, such a spiritual hunger. And so I just think it's so reductionistic that we when we think that our youth, which most people become believers between the age of 16 and 24, this is their prime spiritual formation time, and you have an incredible opportunity to really mold their souls and begin to really introduce them to Jesus Christ in a powerful and personal way. And it, it, it just grieves me that we're not doing that more. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I I was the same too. Our youth group, we were, yeah, how to give your testimony, how to reach your school for Christ. Like that's what we were so interested in. And I don't know why things changed, except the church as a whole changed. And we started mm-hmm. emphasizing gender essentialism and and male hierarchy a lot more in the late Mm. 90s and early aughts than we had in the 80s and 90s. And there really was a big conservative resurgence. Well, lastly, I want you to speak to the women my age, your age, you know, maybe a little bit younger, or even the millennials. I know I I listened to The Bodies Behind the Bus, your interview you had with Jonna Harris, and her talking about so many of these messages. I think the millennials really internalized a lot of these but who are just saying, man, I, I did internalize these messages, and I'm realizing how harmful it is, and yet it's hard to erase those tapes. If you were, were taught these messages, it just it goes, it goes deep, especially then if you, were, you went through the, you know, Nancy Lee DeMoss, what she said to teenagers is one thing, what she says to wives doesn't get a whole lot better. And so I, I know people who, who are in that camp. Speak to that woman about how does she begin to heal and adopt more healthy messages about herself and her worth? Yeah, I think I just want to say I'm sorry. Mm. Like, I am so, so sorry. Like, I, I subscribed to Brio magazine for my daughter, Rebecca, and she devoured mm. that magazine. And she developed an eating disorder because she thought she was fat because of the modesty rules. They told her she had to be able to pinch an inch of fabric or else she wasn't modest. Well, my daughter was very slim, but very curvy. And in those days, there were no jeans where you could pinch an inch. Mm. And she told that story. I didn't even know that story. She told it on a podcast recently. And I started crying because that was another thing. I didn't know as a mom. I was an involved mom. I should have known and I didn't. Mm. I got her that magazine. I gave her I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I put her in two different youth groups that were teaching her all of these negative things. Now, thankfully, we had a great relationship and we could joke about a lot of these terrible messages. And I raised a daughter who could speak up to to youth leaders and that's wonderful. But she should never have been put in that position. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people weren't able to speak up. They were just told your voice doesn't matter because you're a woman. And that was never Jesus saying that. That was never Jesus saying you don't matter. The longest conversation we have recorded of Jesus with another human being was with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus spoke to women. Jesus treated them like people, not like objects. Jesus wasn't trying not to lust after them. Jesus wasn't bouncing his eyes so that he wouldn't be subject to temptation. Jesus looked at them and saw them. Mm -hmm. And that's what you should have had. You should have had people seeing you, seeing who you were, instead of judging you and accusing you of being a temptation or being a stumbling block or being bad. And it can get better. (laughs) I think Jesus really wants this to get better. And I think Jesus really wants you to know his heart for you. 
that your voice matters, that you're not easily deceived, that you don't talk too much, that you aren't just a stumbling block, that you are precious. And so I hope, I think she deserves better can be so healing just to hear what you should have heard all along Mm. and maybe give you a glimpse of Jesus's heart so that you can hold on. Cause I know there's so many people who are struggling with faith and thinking, Mm -hmm. should I just throw it all away? Cause this is so toxic and it should never have been. And I just hope and pray that there is a new revolution coming in the church where people are going to say enough is enough. We need to get back to Jesus heart for people because we all deserve better. Mm. It's so good. And, you know, we just celebrated Easter not long ago. And it just reminds me, the first people that Jesus appeared to were the women. The women who, in that culture, couldn't even be a witness in a trial because their testimony wasn't even thought to be worth worthwhile and be credible. And yet Jesus appeared to women and told them to go back and tell the male disciples that he had risen. Just so much affirmation from Jesus. And I think if we just would be biblical instead of extra biblical in the way we teach about these things, it it would be much better. And I I just thank you, Sheila, for bringing us back to that and for writing this book. And so, so excited to have you come to Restore. And to meet you in person will be just so much fun. Yes, I'm excited about that too. Well, and just a quick reminder that if you'd like to join us at the Restore Conference, where both Sheila and I will be speaking, just go to Restore2023.com. That's Restore2023.com. Also, if you'd like a copy of Sheila's book, She Deserves Better, you're in luck. We're giving away the book to anyone who gives a gift of $30 or more to The Roy's Report. Plus, your gift will help support great podcasts like this and our investigative work at The Roy's Report. To give your gift and get a copy of She Deserves Better, just go to julieroys, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com, slash donate. That's julieroys.com slash donate. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Hope you were blessed and encouraged.